0: A reading today from Genesis 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he set forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing and every bird everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark the word of the lord
1: genesis 8:20 and 9:17 to 17 then noah built an altar to the lord and took some of every uh, clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said to, in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither I will ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, um, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every, uh, every beast on the earth and upon every bird on um, of the heavens upon every, everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your um, lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for um, the life of man. Whoever shed the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall, be, um, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all uh, future generations, I have set my, um, uh, my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord.
2: Please turn back to that first reading. We're continuing our series in uh, the book of Genesis. Um, We're going to look at the first reading this morning. We're going to look at the second reading next week. Um, so this is the second installment of uh, Noah and the Ark. Let me um, let me raise uh, a few questions as a way into it. Um, here at Emanuel, we like to say uh, Emanuel exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. Um, uh, already, uh, Mary Beth uh, mentioned that Hope for New York uh, wants to see kind of comprehensive flourishing in our city um and i think it's really really helpful to ask the question what do when what in the world do we mean by that word flourishing and in particular when you look out at our world i mean the, we live in a world with massive problems right there are massive examples of of not flourishing of, of chaos do you agree oh, there we go wow. it's nice to have a t- interaction love it Um, yeah and I suspect that every generation thinks that their generation is particularly chaotic so maybe we're not all that unique but nevertheless we have to navigate the question how do we engage the particular chaos of our day and what does it look like to flourish um, and I already mentioned Hope for New York is here today um, and Hope for New York wants to kind of mobilize the church to pursue flourishing and, and engage some of the biggest problems in our city and it, it it could bring up a question like why should we bother because it's naive to think we're going to eradicate all the problems. What is it that we're trying to achieve? What is the flourishing that we're looking for? And my question is not just like, you know, is it good to do good things? My question is also about motivation. What could motivate us to engage the chaos that we see around us in our city uh, with a posture that says, yes, i'm looking at the formidable problems of our city but i want to step towards them in self-sacrificial service with a joyful heart you see that 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 posture what could motivate that kind of engagement that kind of posture now serving the city is is just one example but there are lots of other examples you could think about the problems facing our nation you could think about the problems facing the globe you could think about the problems and the brokenness in your industry or your workplace or the parts of your soul or your family that you don't want to talk about there's chaos all around us in our world what's going to motivate us to engage that chaos in a helpful fruitful way and what is the flourishing that we're trying to aim for you see the question because I don't know about you, but when I look at some of the chaos in our world, I can have a lot of other reactions besides um, a joyful desire to engage it. Um, sometimes, when I see the chaos in the world, it makes me angry. Sometimes, it makes me want to withdraw. Sometimes, I want to hunker down and just surround myself with people who agree with me or who whatever. Sometimes, I, I, I despair, or sometimes I'm terribly afraid. And all of those are understandable, but Emmanuel, that's not the path that God has called us to. What does it look like to walk differently? Okay, Jim, what does any of this have to do with Noah and the ark? Good question. This reading, the first one in particular, uh, introduces a theme that grows big through the rest of the Bible. What's the theme? The theme goes like this. This passage tells us that God loves to renovate his world, that God plans to renovate the chaos of this world. And when we grasp that reality, it's on the one hand going to clarify a vision of flourishing for us, and on the other hand, it's going to motivate us to engage this world despite its chaos with faithfulness as we partner with God in his Big plan. What in the world does all that mean? Well, let me explain two points. I want to talk about God's plan to renovate and God's partner in the renovation. First of all God's plan to renovate. Take a look at verse 1 and I want you just to imagine the scene from Noah's perspective. So we're halfway through the flood story. Um, Noah has been in his boat for as long as he can remember at this point and he comes out of his boat and he begin and he looks out upon the scene before him and all he sees is just infinite catastrophe. Now it's important to remember that the ancient Near East, um, when the ancient Near East thought about the sea, it was often uh, an image of chaos and evil and destruction and, in fact, almost all the ancient cultures around the Middle East, and actually, interestingly, around the world, um, told stories about a catastrophic flood. In the pagan stories, the the pagan divinities, what we call the gods, um, sent the flood for various, often nefarious reasons. Sometimes they were just sick and tired of all the commotion that humans were getting up to. Sometimes they wanted wanted to limit the population. They did not usually have good intentions. But on the other hand, the pagan deities, if you read the stories, they're not always in control of the flood either. Yeah, in the Babylonian story of the flood, the Babylonian gods send the flood for nefarious reasons. But then once it's flooded, once the flood comes they're, they're scared to death because they've unleashed a power that's more than they can manage. Now keep that in your mind and go to Noah because as Noah looks out from the ark and looks at this infinite catastrophe, if he's thinking like a pagan, then he knows that he's all alone and he's got to face the abyss alone but that's not the story that verse one is telling us look at verse one it says but god remembered noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark now that is a revolution in the ancient world why because it tells us that the god of noah is not overwhelmed by the chaos around noah that god's not up there biting his nails and that god is not distracted or disengaged but rather it tells us that god remembers his people and therefore his people are never alone but jim what do you mean that what does it mean that god remembered noah did he forget well, um, the English word remember is not very helpful here, so the English idea of remembering is usually I've had a mental lapse and oh my goodness. Now I remember that's not what this word means. This word in verse one means to act upon a previous commitment to think about a previous commitment and to act in the present in light of that previous commitment. It's, it's similar to our idea of good follow-through. So if somebody is really good at following through on something, what that means is that you can rely on them to fulfill their commitments that they previously made. And that's what God's doing here. So two chapters before this, God spoke to Noah and God promised Noah that God was going to rescue Noah. And now God is remembering, that is to say, God is following through on that previous promise. And let me just pause here and think about your own heart, your own life. To what extent do you believe that God is bulletproof in following through on his promises in your life and for the life of the world? The answer to that question will determine to a great extent whether you face the chaos of this world with fear and insecurity or whether you can face the chaos of this world with confidence and courage. All right, go back to the story. Because God's follow through is not just about rescuing Noah and Noah's family. It's also about renovating the entire world. Why do I say that? Here's why. Genesis chapter eight is intentionally written to echo Genesis chapter one. You remember Genesis chapter 1? We looked at it several months ago. It's the story of creation. God creates the world in six days. And on day one of creation in Genesis chapter 1, God's spirit hovers over the chaotic waters. Do you remember that? Well, here in verse 1, God blows a wind over the chaotic waters. Spirit and wind in Hebrew is the same word. On day two of creation in Genesis chapter one, God separates the waters in the sky from the waters on the, uh, below the sky, the clouds and, the, and the, the sea. In verse two, God stops the rain from the sky and the sea begins to be pushed back. On the third day of creation in Genesis chapter one, land appears emerging from the sea. And here in verse three, mountains begin to appear as the sea is pushed back by God's power. And there's a bunch of other examples, but the most important one comes at the end. The whole story of creation in Genesis chapter 1 culminates when God establishes the human family. God creates humanity male and female and says, be fruitful and multiply. And the culmination of this chapter happens when Noah and Noah's family emerge from the ark with all of the other animals and God says, be fruitful and multiply. Now, do you see how it is that this story is an echo of the creation story? And what's the point? This is very important. This is telling us that God has an intention, a resolve to renovate his world. That God is always looking to preserve his original design and promote an ultimate renovation of his world. And this is the beginning of a theme that gets big as the story of the Bible unfolds. What we find is that God created this world and God really likes his original design. He thinks it was great. He said it was good. And all through the Bible, it's clear that you and I and humanity is not at liberty to modify the God's original design. The problem is that evil and chaos and sin distort and destroy God's good design and God's good creation. And therefore, all through the Bible, God judges sin. He says, stop. And that's what the flood is about. However, it's very important to know that God is not just a burn-it-all-down kind of leader. That God doesn't give up on his creation, that God remembers, God follows through on his promises, and God plans to renovate and recreate this world. He does that in small form in this reading, but through the whole story of the Bible, he's moving towards doing it big form. If you get to the end of the Bible, Emmanuel, you will not find that the story of the Bible ends with angels on clouds with harps. And your story, if you belong to Jesus Christ, will not end in a kind of disembodied state. That's not what heaven is. The Bible ends with remade bodies, remade human bodies in beautiful cities and ecosystems that hum to the glory of God. And I wonder if that fits your expectation. Go back to Noah. Noah because Noah, God rescues Noah and his family. And that rescue of God's people is part of God's bigger plan to renovate the whole world. That's why all the animals have to be there too. And that means that if you belong to Jesus today, that Jesus is rescuing you right now. That's we call salvation. And that salvation, individually received is part of a larger story of how Jesus is making the whole world new so the Christian salvation needs to be individually entered but once you enter it you realize you're part of a cosmic story that's God's plan to renovate the world he wants to preserve his original intention he wants to promote his ultimate renovation that is always what God is doing But not only does he have a plan, he has a partner. And this gets into how we should respond. The partner is Noah. The partner is humanity. Um, Think about Noah for a second. On the one hand, Noah is a recipient of rescue, right? Um, Noah can't save himself. Noah can't save his family. He must be rescued by God. That's very clear. But on the other hand, one of the interesting things about Noah is that Noah has great agency in this whole process. He's not passive. He's God's partner in in God's plan, and he's got a crucial role. He's caring for the animals. He's building the ark. He's obeying God. And he partners with God in two key ways. He's a partner with God by faith, and he's a partner with God through faithfulness. First, he's a partner with God by faith. Um, this is really clear in the chapters that lead up to this moment. Um, in the scenes just before our reading, God comes to Noah and God tells Noah about God's plan. There's going to be a big flood. You need to build a big boat. I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to rescue all of life through you. And remarkably, Noah hears God's word and does what God says. He trusts God that's called faith. And it's a fundamental parting, uh, starting place for partnering with God. If we're going to partner with God in the renovation of the world, it must begin by faith alone. And here's part of why that's so important. If I don't believe that God exists, or if I think maybe God exists, but I don't think God is really all that involved in this world. Then when I come up against the chaos of the world around me, I'm going to have to rely upon myself. Or if I don't think I can rely upon myself, I'm going to have to rely. I'm going to have to align myself with somebody who's very powerful or some movement that's very powerful, something that can make me feel secure. And what will happen in that is that either I become the hero of the story or uh humanity is the hero of the story or my business is the hero of my story or my political party is the hero of my story or my nation is the hero of my story but it's something below that I'm grasping for control in the midst of a chaotic world and it can be quite desperate But on the other hand, if God has a plan to renovate this world and if God is bulletproof in his follow through on his promises, then that means I don't have to be the hero of the story and I can't be the hero of the story, but rather it makes sense to trust God, and that is faith and it always begins there. Faith is our starting point for facing the chaos of this world. And I wonder. To what extent can you trust God's plan? To what extent can you trust God's follow-through? But then, partnering with God, it begins with trusting him, but it leads to faithfulness. Think about verse 6. So Noah comes out, he, he opens up the hatch, he looks out, we already said, on limitless desolation around him. Would you be tempted to give up? You ever been overwhelmed by the problems you face? And think about Noah, he goes back down. He's caring for the animals. He's scooping some camel mess. feeding chickens, I don't know. What's the point of seemingly so menial, such tasks that are so menial in the face of such overwhelming catastrophic destruction? Can you imagine why he might be discouraged? Why he might wanna give up? Why he might ask who cares about the, ki- the chickens? Especially the camels. Why does he keep going? Look at verse 7. Noah begins to send out these birds to look for signs of land. For he sends out a raven, nothing comes back. Sends out a dove, nothing comes back. Why does he keep sending the birds? He's sending the birds because he's trusting God's plan. He's sending the birds because he's looking for God's follow-through. He's sending the birds because he's taking practical steps, working out his faith in step-by-step obedience. It's called faithfulness. His actions are a mirror of God's actions. He's trying to preserve God's original design by taking care of the animals, and he's, he's promoting God's ultimate plan to renovate the world by sending out these birds looking for the sign of God's promise keeping and that's faithfulness for for us, we want to preserve all Christian ethics uh, will 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 include preserving God's original design and promoting God's ultimate renovation. Let me give you an example um, in uh, London there's an organization it's not just in London, but it's called Arosha I've mentioned it before in Canada. The uh, Arosha in in London it's a Christian conservation organization and one of the things that they did is they found in inner city London three acres that were that was just wasteland that's what they called it. They were able to purchase this land and they uh, had to remove uh, 54 tons of garbage from these three acres. And then they coordinated Christians throughout their city to begin working on transforming this uh, three acres into natural space. It's called Wolf Fields. And it's a little bit like a public park now. It's a little bit, it's actually a nature preserve. Uh, It's an educational center. It's a kind of oasis of natural beauty in the midst of inner city London and they say that local doctors in the community uh, prescribe for their patients to go and spend time in wolf fields for mental health. Now why in the world would the Christians of London go to all that expense and all that work? It's because they're like Noah. Noah. Their faith in God's promise has led to faithfulness in action. They believe that God has a plan to renovate the world. And now they're taking active steps, little steps together to promote God's ultimate plan of restoration. That's what faithfulness looks like. And today in London, Wolf Fields is an outward invisible sign in the midst of the city of God's plan to make all things new. It's a little bit like the olive branch for Noah. Look at verse 9. The bird, third bird finally brings back an olive branch. And can you just imagine the joy of that moment? Because that olive branch for Noah was an outward and visible sign that God's plan was unfolding and that God's follow-through was real. Emmanuel, uh, when we face the chaos of this world, And when we face the chaos of this world, not with fear, not with resentment, not with withdrawal, but rather with faith in God's plan and faithfulness in action, you and I and all of us become signposts for the world that God's plan to renovate the world is unfolding. And that's true even when our actions in the moment feel small and insignificant and invisible. And so the question for us today is if we're going to live by faith and faithfulness, if we're going to preserve God's original design and promote his ultimate renovation, then how are we going to live by faith. Because when we live in this world, I look around the world and very often the chaos of this world seems more than I can bear. Sometimes the chaos of this world is so big and loud that it makes me doubt the reality of God's plan. And when that happens, fear goes up and faith goes down and faithfulness begins to falter. So how can we be sure that God's plan of renovation is unfolding? Well, we have something better even than Noah. We have Jesus Christ. The story of the flood was like a little tiny rehearsal, but the main event was Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came on the cross and through his resurrection, Jesus preserved God's original design by turning away the, God's judgment against sin and condemning sin in his flesh when he died upon the cross. He preserved God's original design, but in his resurrection, he purchased the ultimate renewal of all things. The renewal and renovation of creation began with Jesus' resurrected body. And so when you look at Jesus's historical resurrection from the dead you get to see the main event you get to see the beginning of the unfolding of God's ultimate plan to restore all things and just like Noah took his family into the ark and saved both his family and the all of living creation so Jesus Christ takes us into himself When we trust him, he takes us into himself and he preserves us, he rescues us and with us, he will redeem the whole world. So Emmanuel, if you want to stand against the chaos of this world with faithfulness and courage, then you got to start by looking at Jesus. You got to look at his sacrifice and his resurrection and that's when you'll see just how serious God is at follow through. And as you realize that, I want you to realize that right now, right now Jesus is remembering you. He's remembering you in the midst of the chaos that you're experiencing. He hasn't given up on you. He will never let you go. He's seeking you and he's chasing you right down right now with all of his love and mercy and grace. And he says, I want to preserve all that is good and true and beautiful in you. And I want to renovate you until you will shine with the reflected glory of God himself. And so right now he seeks you. And if you're discouraged today, and if you're overwhelmed by the chaos of your life or the city or the world, or whatever it may be, and you need an olive branch, you need an outward visible sign that God's work is working for you, then look around. That's what church is. That's what the word of God is. That's what the sacraments are. That's what the community of the church is for. We are all of us living olive branches speaking to one another and saying, God has not given up. His plan is unfolding. The renovation of the world is coming, and Jesus Christ has purchased it for you. Therefore, trust him. Place your faith in him. Lift up your eyes and go to a life of faithfulness. Amen.